Hi, I'm Franny and you're listening to Into the World Podcast, a light-hearted conversational podcast about all things birth and motherhood. Each week I speak to a different parent about the ups and downs of their journey. I hope you enjoy the stories, find connection and have a bit of a laugh along the way. Thank you to everyone who opened up their heart and soul to participate in this podcast. It really would be nothing without you. Happy listening. Hi guys, this week I'm talking to Nikki Bergen. If you live here in Toronto, maybe you already follow her on Instagram at The Bell Method. Nikki is someone I've been following on Instagram for a while now. I love her real and raw Instagram and also how informative it is. She's a Pilates teacher here in the city and she specializes in pregnancy and postnatal. She also has another account for that, The Bump Method. She's an infertility warrior and mama and I just love how she's so open with her story and her journey and she talks from a real place of like raw emotion. And I just think she's fantastic. Everything that she's doing for mums and for people with similar issues that she's faced like IVF. We talk a lot about her IVF journey in this episode. I think she's hilarious and she brings some light to something I honestly can say I don't know a lot about. I'm not an expert in IVF. Although we nearly went down that road, it's not something I've experienced myself. So I'll let her talk more about her journey and what that's been like for her. And yeah, I urge you to follow her on Instagram because I think her account is incredible. And I also wanted to make a point of saying while I'm here that I'd really like to share more IVF stories, RUI stories, people who struggle to conceive, because I'm really trying to give as best I can a cross section of stories that people will want to listen to because I really don't want this podcast to be about one type of birth story or another. I'm really not advocating for anybody to have any type of birth other than the one that they want and I just love sharing stories on the basis that we all had something happen to us whether it was traumatic or whether it was incredibly empowering and this is just a space where I want people to be able to share their stories in an honest and open way and for people to be able to listen to what that story was without someone having to hold back something about their truth. So I really hope that you enjoy the episode and I hope you're enjoying the podcast as well and yeah I'm hoping that we can as time goes on have a real varied cross-section. Anyway getting back to Nikki's story this is the story of Gabrielle coming into the world her first daughter so enjoy and happy listening hello hello hi Hi. can you hear me can can you hear me okay that is much better okay good I just I went down a little closer to my wireless router (laughs) okay great (laughs) well thanks so much for taking the time out to talk to me oh thank you for for having me I'm excited to do this oh you're welcome I know that we're um, both a little bit short time. I think that's like usually the case when people have children. So I'll kind of dive right into the question. I'll start by introducing you. You are Nikki. You are mum to Gabrielle. Am I right in pronouncing it like that? Yes. Gabrielle, right. Okay. And she is, has she just turned one? Am I right in thinking that? Uh, yeah, she's 13 months. Oh, she's 13 months. Okay. And do you want to start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Because... I know quite a few of my followers probably follow you on Instagram and you are a Pilates instructor among many other things. So I just thought maybe it'd be a good opportunity for you to just talk about what it is that you do (laughs) pre-motherhood. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want me to start? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, I wasn't very clear there. No, no, that's fine. If you wanted to. I was waiting. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No problem. I was waiting for you to do some sort of intro. Okay, no problem. I'm really excited to be a guest on your podcast, Francesca. By the way, Francesca is one of my favorite names. So oh, I really? Adore. It is, yeah. Oh, really thank is. you. <laughs> and okay, so I am a Pilates instructor. My name is Nikki Bergen, and I'm a former dancer turned Pilates instructor because I injured my knee in my 20s, and Pilates was a miracle cure-all for me. So I I became really passionate about body movement. And then it gradually evolved from there. And I started working with more and more pregnant women. And uh, I realized that they were not getting the type of exercise they needed to repair their bodies postpartum. And during pregnancy as well, they needed a little bit more specific guidance. And so I ended up sort of organically beginning to specialize in that Mm -hmm. and discovered a real true passion for women's health. So I've become a very passionate advocate for pelvic health, um, helping women feel comfortable in their own bodies, 
helping them, you know, know that they're not alone if they're dealing with really common issues like incontinence, prolapse, mm-hmm. um, abdominal wall separation known as diastasis recti. So I, I teach Pilates in Toronto and I train other teachers in pregnancy and postpartum fitness. So it's something I'm very passionate about. And it was really cool that I was able to finally, after years of infertility, have my own baby. So now I've actually gone through it myself as well, which has really been a true blessing as well, just in terms of understanding in an even more deep level, you know? Yeah, um, I really like the videos that you do on Instagram as well, because I feel like they're really like useful and they're quick enough that you can kind of like fit them into your day-to-day life. I was actually watching the one that you did about the car seat, like how to carry the car seat well, because I am literally covered in bruises from carrying the car seat where it sort of swings and bashes me. And my son's pretty heavy now. So yeah, I think they're like super useful that you have that platform to share stuff with us and people like me who follow your journey as well. In terms of your sort of birth journey, did you give birth here in Ontario? In the city of I Toronto, did. you did? I did. Yeah, it was at Sunnybrook Hospital. And, and tell us a little bit about your sort of IVF journey, because I know I myself haven't experienced IVF, but I, I, I think a lot of people who haven't maybe don't know people go through and I realize that like everyone's different in how that it comes to be for them but I think it can be a bit of a daunting process if that is the road you have to go down I know there was a point within my journey where we thought that's what we were going to have to do because of complications that we'd had at the beginning and I really never got any further than sort of just investigating it but I think living through it it's like a really different thing Um, and you told me you had a few rounds of IUI before you had the IVF Tell us a little bit about sort of how the journey started for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I was 34 and we're sort of like, okay, now's the time to start thinking about having a child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, time we don't have all the time in the world. Like a lot of people, you know, get married in your early 30s. Anyhow, so it wasn't happening. And I had, uh, I had kind of an instinct that I wanted to make sure that everything was okay. I, I had known enough because I've been in this world of, pregnancy and postpartum, I didn't want to wait a year, two years before getting everything checked out. So, you know, after about six months, we went and and got everything checked out. And it turns out that it was a good thing that we did because we were found that my husband had some male factor issues and he had been in an accident as a teenager, Mm -hmm. um, a mountain biking accident. And, you know, it might have been because of the blunt trauma there. We're not sure. No one would really ever give us a complete answer, but they were basically like, you know, you can try some IUIs and if that doesn't work, then, you know, you have to move on. And so there was really no question. They were like, you need to immediately start doing IUIs. We think that the probability of you having a natural conception is quite low. Right. So it was devastating to hear that. Yeah. So, you know, sort of, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Oh, you you can swear as much as you like. (laughs) Perfect. So that's my favorite way of explaining it. You're like, great, you know? And so, it was, it was hard. And so we did. And then of course we ended up doing our first IUI and there's, there's cycle monitoring, which means that, you know, seven in the morning, you've got to get up before your day starts, before your work day starts, you go in, you get blood work, you get like these vaginal ultrasounds and you just, it, it's very invasive and it's very time consuming. It's very draining, you know, and then you've got to go about the rest of your day smiling and being like, yeah, everything's good. Meanwhile, you just want to curl into a corner and cry because you're like, how did it happen? This is supposed to be like this fun thing. Yeah. To be able to drink a bottle of wine and go have sex and have a baby. Right? Yeah. And that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> Anyhow. And I think so it sounds like it kind of takes I- over your life as well, because I think I read in one of your posts where it almost feels like a job where like you've got to keep doing all these things where it's like you have this part-time job where you're tied to these appointments and all of these scans and yeah. everything else that you're going through it's it's 100% feels like a part-time job and it's a part-time job that you can't really talk about with people because it's sort of like unless you've gone through it it's difficult to understand how it very much does consume your life you know and you're waiting for updates and ultrasounds and even travel you're like well I can't travel because what if we have another IUI that month and I need to be around for monitoring and I need to do you know it just and then you're not your so many things or, yeah you go upset you know crazy with the vitamins and the whole the acupuncture and the green smoothies like I was literally you told me if you if they had said we need you to stand on your head for an hour a day I would have done it right <laughs> like you just 
you're like, whatever it will take, I will do it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we had, we actually, I actually got pregnant on that very first IUI and it was like this huge, like amazing, this is wonderful, which ended in a miscarriage, um, an early miscarriage, but it was still a miscarriage. Nonetheless, yeah. And it was, nonetheless, and it was, it was very difficult. You know, and we were told by the clinic, oh, but you can get pregnant. It's a great sign. And you're like, okay, well, it's never, like it's a never sign, a nice consolation but... though, is it? Because really, if nothing full um, comes to fruition and you have that healthy baby in your arms, that just doesn't really comfort anyone, I don't think, or it certainly didn't for me. No, no, it didn't. And, and anyways, it was one of those things that you just think, oh, well, okay, we just have to keep trying and keep trying, but you just have to, you know, you. I didn't really let myself think about it mm-hmm. because it was, it was sort of like too painful to think about, well, what if, and then you do mm-hmm. the math and this baby would have been this age and then the due date. And I would have had a one-year-old at this point, you know? Like you can, yeah. You can drive yourself very, crazy thinking about that too much. I think. A hundred percent. You absolutely can. And so for the sake of brevity, I'll continue the story. We had two more IUIs. Then neither of them worked. They were just, no result, no pregnancy, nothing. And they wanted me to continue down that path. But the reality is, is that the probability of successful conception with an IUI is fairly low. I I didn't know that. Yeah, it's about less than 20%. And I was like, well, I don't want to keep doing something that takes over my life, you know, and every day the blood work, they'll start I'd rather just go to something they say would be a 60% chance of success, which is IVF. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot more invasive. It's a lot of drugs. It's a lot of money. But we were like, you know what? At this point, I was like, I don't want to do, I've done three. I don't, I felt like I was wasting my Mm -hmm. time. And I was also mentally, I don't think I could handle much Mm -hmm. more of only getting like that small probability of success. And so we did, we went to IVF and that allowed us to do extra genetic testing because you've got embryos and then you test the embryos. And we ended up with five embryos at the end of it all. And they took 16 eggs out of me surgically. Like it's a big, it's a big deal. It's a lot of, a lot of on your body. And long story short that we got five fertilized good looking embryos and then we tested them and two came back chromosomally normal so i mean it's like yeah the numbers keep going down must be stressful as well yeah so we have only two we had two two chromosomally they call it like normal embryos that's the terminology euploid and so we put one of those in and thank goodness it worked because our little miracle baby my daughter, Gabrielle, was born just over a year ago. Amazing. So, yeah, we have a happy ending. <laughs> That's so nice. It must be really difficult, though, to kind of go through all that and know all the figures, like you're saying, because, you know, everybody else that gets pregnant in normal circumstance, even when you know you're pregnant, it's sort of like the more you know, almost is a bit more torturous. But in your situation, you're just knowing way too much detail where I can imagine that that's just really disheartening every time you get too much information it must be quite overwhelming it's very much you know you know most people would do a pregnancy test and go oh I'm pregnant like I was going in for HCG blood work so I was like well how pregnant am I like I want to know my levels are doubling every day like Mm -hmm. you know what are my E2 levels what are these levels what you know you start to become this self-taught expert yeah (laughs) and you're looking for signs that everything is okay. You know, I am now, I have all these charts and and graphs and all these things that are given to me by the clinic. And yeah, you can absolutely become, you know, kind of obsessed about it because you're wanting to see, it's called symptom spotting. You know, am I, is this working? Is things going okay? Is, you know, you're bracing yourself for a loss. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of the opposite of what you normally go through if you haven't one experience loss, or if you haven't gone down the IVF route, I think you you don't prep yourself for that you almost do the opposite and it kind of takes a bit of the enjoyment out by the sounds of it yeah I just, we were pregnant until I was 22 mm-hmm. weeks I was just I, you know I, I wasn't comfortable sharing until we had the anatomy scan like mm-hmm. you know a lot of people wait 12 weeks three months like I was over five months pregnant before I I made it public uh-huh. on social media or anything like yeah. that and what were the, I mean, this is probably an obvious question in terms of the lows, but what were, were there pregnancy or 
like did it take for you to get past that point to sort of feel any joy about the situation that's a great question I think it was probably when I finally graduated from the fertility clinic so after that 20-week ultrasound I left the fertility clinic and I went to a regular OB at Sunnybrook and then I was like now I'm like everybody else like I felt like I could finally just relax a little bit and then I felt like I was no longer a fertility patient. I was just a regular obstetrical yeah, patient. Yeah, you're a regular pregnant woman of five yeah. and a half months or whatever. Yeah. So what were the highs for you? Were there any after that point? Or because I'm guessing the lows were like getting yourself through to that. Yeah, I was very fortunate. Like my pregnancy itself was was a good, healthy pregnancy. Like I, I in a way, I was, I'm grateful. I, I know a lot about movement and I, I was lucky. I didn't have morning sickness really past, you know, maybe a week or two, mm-hmm. you know, in many, in many ways I was lucky, but I also had really good support because I've been in this space for so long. I have my prenatal chiropractor and my acupuncturist and my massage. Mm-hmm. Like I you had, had all your team, experts, you know, <laughs> I had all my experts and they were all so happy to help because they were all so happy for me. So, you know, I had them on speed dial yeah. and needed anything, which was, I recognize really not the case for most pregnant women. So I ha- when I look back, I was very lucky. My one thing was that, and this is an, a whole other side note, I was born with a heart arrhythmia, yeah. which is unrelated to fertility. But when you're pregnant, your heart has to work a lot harder because you have to pump a lot more blood volume through right. your body. And so I was starting to get um, arrhythmias. So what that means is, is that my heart ha- basically conducts too much electricity mm-hmm. So my heart would go from a regular resting, say, beat of, of 80 beats per minute to like 180 Goodness. beats per minute. And it would be very, very, very scary. Sometimes it would go away on its own, but there was a few times where I had to go to the ER again, call 911, the whole thing mm-hmm. that happened. That happened a few times in my pregnancy. Wow. And and that's of course, adds a whole other element of concern because you're like, well, what is this doing? To yeah. And did that make you feel very anxious? Like when you didn't have it, was you kind of expecting that to happen? Because, you know, anybody's heart races for, for any reason, it can kind of sort of make you feel mm-hmm. obviously out of breath and a bit anxious. But in your situation, when it's coming on just randomly, that must have been really scary. Yeah, it was very, it was a... <laughs> It was a very difficult thing because here I am, you know, over the past 10 years, I've really put myself out there as a a pregnancy fitness Mm -hmm. expert and I've done all these courses and training and I'm pregnant myself. And yet I feel like I can't exercise to the point I want to because my heart won't let me. And so it was interesting because I'm like, I want to be doing all of these things and I know that my muscles can do it. But, you know, if I, if I push myself my heart is going to go crazy and then end up in the yeah. hospital. And so, you know, I had to really put my ego aside. And that was my big lesson. I had to put my Pilates instructor ego aside and just be like, okay, <laughs> you literally have, yeah, surrender was like, the... it was probably the word to describe my entire fertility and pregnancy journey. Like it would, I'm like, you know what? I am going to accept help carrying this bag up the stairs Mm -hmm. you know I was that pregnant person that people would be like (laughs) you know and I'd be like and I would you know and I'm like I know my muscles are strong enough to walk up the stairs but my heart feels like it's gonna explode out of my chest so I have to just honor that and not be a hero it's a difficult thing to do though if it's what you're you enjoy as a living and like it's your passion too I mean not quite the same for me but I was a marathon runner in a previous life um, and I actually broke my hip running a marathon not long before I started my sort of, I know, it was not long before I got married, actually, anyway, they're not the best idea to break your leg before you get married. But long story short, I always thought I'd be this really active person during pregnancy, because I love running and exercise and everything else. And when I actually got pregnant, I always felt horrendous. And because I'd had a loss, I think I was just so fearful of doing absolutely anything that would put pressure on my body or the baby. And most of it was mental, but it was really hard to get my head around going from exercising daily or thereabouts to basically doing nothing, (laughs) but being okay with it. I think it's like getting your mind around being okay with it because I did it for pleasure, but also like you were saying, like, you know, your body's capable, but it's frustrating because 
in a way I had to think well if I can't mentally think that I'm going to be okay if I exercise and the baby's going to be okay then why am I doing it it's kind of counterproductive like maybe I should just rest for nine months and happen but yeah it's really hard to like sort of like expectation versus reality which is a lot of motherhood anyway <laughs> we have all these expectations oh my god and then you're like what what is happening this is not meant to be like this um so yeah I can really relate to that but it must be even harder if that's your sort of that's what you do for a living as well because like you say you're you're the expert and you want to continue to be but if it's not what's right for you it's hard to let go of as well isn't it yeah, it, it was difficult for sure. And and I remember the one time that I actually did end up needing to get a drug. I was about 30 weeks mm-hmm. pregnant and I had taught, I was still teaching. I had taught a couple classes and then I was at a, of all things, I was at my friend's baby shower and my heart, I guess I probably was a little bit dehydrated. I had been teaching some intense classes that morning and then I'm at her baby shower and I'm sitting on the couch and all of a sudden I was reaching for, I don't know, something on the crudite platter. <laughs> like it was so out of, you know, I'm like reaching for a carrot stick and some hummus. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh no. And I can feel it go. I can feel my heart starting mm-hmm. to go. And that was of all the times, that was the one time that I couldn't get out of it. And they ended up like, I kind of ruined my friend's baby shower, to be honest. Like I felt so badly about it. And, you know, and she of course was like, don't worry. I'm like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're both pregnant within weeks of each other. And I'm the only other pregnant person there and all of a sudden like you know they're supposed to open presents and then the paramedics are on their way and I'm like on the bathroom floor like trying my best to keep my heart rate at a relatively low level and they literally had to put an IV in that to call the advanced paramedic team and it was like out of Pulp Fiction I'm like this pregnant woman lying on the bathroom floor and they're like injecting me with this medicine to stop and restart oh my, my heart on the bathroom. Well, you'll never forget that baby was, shower. <laughs> no, I will never. I will never forget that baby shower. And I remember in that moment, trying so hard to negotiate with the paramedic. I was like, no, I don't want this drug. What's it going to do to my baby? No, I don't want this drug. And he looked at me. He's like, your heart rate being at this rate is more dangerous than yeah. this drug. He's like pushing 20 or whatever it was. Like it was like out of a movie. And, and of course, the drug that I had to have is a very, it's uncomfortable. It's sort of like an elect, it's like an intravenous way of shocking your heart, your heart. So it doesn't, it's very painful for about 10 seconds and then it's fine. So I I was bracing myself because I had this before. I just had never had it during pregnancy. And I remember after that incident, I was like, okay, I can't ever let this happen again because now it's not just about Mm -hmm. me. It's about another human life. So it's one thing if I have to get a drug, I don't ever want to have to subject my baby did that Mm -hmm. drug. And so I made that decision that I was going to get something called a heart ablation, which is a surgical fix for this. Yeah. My dad has actually had Um, that. And so Um, he's, he's actually a lot older than you obviously being my dad. He had it about 65. I think he was actually born with a similar condition, but it wasn't detected till much, much later in life, but it was a very invasive procedure. So I kind of yeah. have an idea of what you went through, but it just seems crazy to me at such a young age that that's something you had to sort of contend with. Yeah. What I think is the most interesting thing about it is that something about becoming a mother made me braver. Right. Something about, you know, because they had been recommending that I get this this procedure done probably since my, I would say, late mm-hmm. 20s. And here I am, you know, 36 years old and and about to become a mom for the first time. And then I am a mom and I'm like, okay, it, it was having a baby that, that gave me the courage to do this. Wow. And so I was like, you know what, now that I, now I don't ever want to be alone in my house and have this happen. You know, I don't want to ever endanger in a way indirectly endanger my child. Cause if something happens to me and I go into this arrhythmia, like I'm out of commission. Mm-hmm. And so that's an unsafe situation. And so I, I was like, okay, now that someone else's life is hanging in the balance, I'm willing to do this. Whereas before I would have been like, no, you're not touching my heart. I'm not having surgery. Yeah. Well, it must be a very scary thing to do. Like heart, heart surgery is like, it doesn't get scarier than that really, does it? You, everybody needs their heart to function to be alive. So doing anything to open yourself up and jeopardize that even if it's for the greater good, must feel very, very daunting. 
It is daunting. But I think what's interesting, though, and that another thing came from this was that, you know, I told everyone I'm having heart ablation surgery. They don't even call it a surgery. They call it a procedure because mm-hmm. it goes through your groin. It's not an open heart thing. It's a, it's a, I don't know if it's laparoscopic, but they go through your groin and they trace this wire up into your heart and they essentially burn the Ooh, electrical pathway, the, the extra. Oh, did I cut out? Oh, sorry. I lost you on the burn. <laughs> oh, yes. I can hear now, yeah. Okay, sorry, that's weird. Okay. That's okay. Um, you, I lost you on. Um, you, it goes into your groin and they burn something. <laughs> I might have yeah, missed so the crucial bits in go, between there. <laughs> they go. They they put a wire, a couple wires through your groin, and they trace those wires up into your heart, and they ah. um they kill or they burn or they ablate is the proper medical term, the incorrect electrical pathway. So that's, that's right. what I had done. But so it's considered like I got to, I didn't even have to stay overnight. Wow. And, and it's, and yet people were like, Oh my God, you're a rock star. You just had heart surgery. And I have to say, Francesca says mm-hmm. that, you know, the recovery for that was so much easier than the recovery for birth. Wow. And yet nobody nobody is like wow you just had a baby you're a rock star so, like, <laughs> so they're true they're just like, so oh, true. You're a baby. you know whereas like I got so much street cred for having this heart surgery and I'm like but, guys I just gave birth that was like nothing yeah 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 <laughs> that's so interesting you know? yeah I think yeah. people do think that birth is just commonplace because I also found this from having like a second birth it's like I, I recovered at home because I had a home birth And it was really weird because the midwife was like, you shouldn't go downstairs. You need to like look after your scar and you don't want to like irritate it by going up and downstairs. But it's almost like the second that you start doing a bit more, people completely forget that you've just done this like major thing. So the first day when I was like bed bound upstairs, like my husband was great. He was doing everything, like bringing things to me, like helping, walking me to the toilet, whatever. And then the second, like, you show any signs of life, it's like, <laughs> oh, whatever. Like, you know, you can you can fend for yourself now. So I really do think that that recovery period almost needs to be a bit slower because we're taken out of hospital so much quicker now. I was even talking to my mum. She had a C-section and she was in hospital for a full week. And now you can be out within, like, 24 hours if you have no complications. And, yeah, I think it's almost, it's taken away from, like, what a big thing it is, like, whether you have like a pain-free hypnobirth or whether you have really traumatic birth, I think it's just such a big thing your body goes through. And that's really interesting that you say it from that standpoint where you've had heart surgery and you still found birth to be like a bigger deal. Oh, much a bigger deal. Physically, the recovery is so much better. Yeah. And, and tell me what happened with Gabrielle. Like, how did you go into labor? So I was a week overdue and my OB was like, you know, I'll let you go 10 days over, but then we're going to induce mm-hmm. you. And knowing what I know, I know that when you are induced, it increases a risk, a lot of risks for interventions. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I just, it was my choice. I did not want to be induced. And so I was doing all the acupuncture and the, trying to get this baby out. I was doing the squats and the whatever, nothing was working, spicy food. You name it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. And I ended up, I ended up taking some castor oil and that was what put me into Oh my labor. God, me too. <laughs> Did it work? I took castor oil on my, yeah, in my most recent birth. One of my friends actually dropped it around in the evening and I sneakily took it at midnight yeah. without telling my husband because I was like, this isn't going to work, but whatever. <laughs> um, I'm just going to sneakily do this before I go to bed. And it was like midnight and I'd had the baby by 6 a.m. Oh my like, gosh. The whole process had ended within six hours. I didn't go into labor till about 3 a.m., but I swear it was the castor oil because, like you said, I'd done, I'd had about two weeks worth of acupuncture every day, uh, whether it was to sort of soften the cervix or induce me or whatever. I'd done all the therapies, you know, tried everything. I was like really committed to getting the baby out on time. And yeah, I, I swear by the castor oil doing it. I took like <laughs> half a teaspoon. And at first I was like, oh, I don't even think I'm in labor. I had like back pain and I was like, oh no, I've like ruined everything because I've 
taking the castor oil and I'm just going to get diarrhea but no it, it I'm <laughs> sure it worked for me but that's really oh, interesting you did that too and you safely did it I was, no, totally and I did it at midnight also that's so funny, oh, so funny. Um, and, and I just you know and she had done four my OB did four stretch and sweeps that's mm-hmm. a lot of stretch like nothing was happening yeah um, and so I, I was a bit desperate so yeah anyways I ended up going into labor I would say probably around 3 a.m like three hours later and I labored at home for a couple hours called the doula and then because of my heart you know I was with an OB and I was at like a level three hospital like they were not gonna let me midwives were like you're not gonna touch me with a 10-foot pole <laughs> so I uh, I had that that was where I was so Anyways, we drove to the hospital probably around 5.30 to avoid traffic Mm -hmm. because it was a Friday morning. And I gave, ended up uh, being in labor for about, I would say maybe 10 hours, 10 to 12 hours. So it wasn't that long. Mm -hmm. um, Especially not for time, yeah. Yeah. um, And uh, and it was a really, I have to say, like a very empowering experience. I was very black. I was very open to to whatever might need to happen, especially given my heart condition. Mm But I had a fantastic doula and I ended up already six centimeters when I got to triage. And, and so they were like, things are moving really well. You're dilating really well. Um, so I ended up not having any epidural. I used the hospital tub and I labored in the tub for a little while, actually for as long as they would let me. <laughs> and then I remember them being like, you're 10 plus, like you need to push. And I was like, no, no, I'm not ready. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> You know, scary. I wasn't ready, but it finally, you know, it worked. I, I, the push, I didn't really understand it at first. I, you know, I was sort of trying very hard to breathe the baby down. I didn't want to tear. I was afraid of tearing as a lot of us are, you know, and I, you know, and I I was kind of like, I would say like semi pushing, but Mm -hmm. barely. And finally they were like, okay, like nothing's happening. You need to do this. And I remember my doula being like, Nikki, you need to use your core. And then finally, I was, and then I was like, of course, my core. And then my Pilates instructor. Going to say, did you? And the baby literally came. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Um, it was pretty fun. And how did you find having a doula? Oh, it was so important. It was like, it, she was by far the only reason that, sorry, husband, but truly she was the only reason oh, I know, that I was yeah. able to have like any sort of a, of, of a positive birth experience I I had because of my issues with my heart because of my IVF journey I was very stuck on this fact that like I thing to feel like it doesn't need intervention yeah it was really important to me that I try and I knew that you know sometimes things are obviously beyond our control but luckily for me the baby's head was down like you know the heart it was okay and so I was given the opportunity to have this sort of unmedicated natural birth mm-hmm. and I was able to have it. And, and for me, that was important because like, in a way I wanted to prove to myself, like Nikki, your body is not a lemon, despite <laughs> your heart, despite the IVF, like you can freaking do this. And so that was probably, you know, in a way that helped me a lot mentally to feel like I could prove to myself that despite all of my issues, I was still capable of pushing this baby out without any drugs. And so I'm really grateful that that I was able to do that because it was important for me after my journey to be able to to at least try and do that. Yeah, and wow, you and you did it as well to follow that through is amazing. Because I think to have the mindset is one thing because it really can't hurt anyone to have that mindset and to go into things thinking this is what I want, this is what I'm going to try my best to do, but I'm also okay about like plans having to change yeah. based on you know unforeseen things. Of but to actually get it must have been just so amazing and elating and then to have your daughter as well that's like the cherry on top isn't it (laughs) yeah it was very and I'm very aware that you know there's and this is where I actually did a post the other I don't know several months ago where I was talking about how I think we should oh I think I read this yeah yeah I did did a lot of heated comments oh yeah 50 50 like some people were into it and a lot of people were like this is like they, they had some strong reactions. And the, the gist of the post was that, you know, I feel like we should change the terminology. And, and it was interesting. I felt a lot of pressure when I was pregnant because people would be like, oh, you're a Pilates instructor. You teach this. Are you going to try for a quote unquote natural birth? Mm-hmm. And I even had people say to me, well, you're strong enough. You don't need the epidural. Come on now. And I was like, 
easy up on the pressure. Like, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, what if, what if I need an emergency C-section? What if the pain's too much? And what if I just want an epidural? Like, screw off. You yeah. Know? I just felt like there's a lot of this, this pressure. And yes, okay, great. I was able to have my, you know, quote unquote, ideal birth. But I do know that there are a lot of women out there who did not have that experience. And they still wrestle with that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that's why that was where that post came from to sort of say, like, why don't we use words like medicated, unmedicated? Like, why does it have to be natural? That kind of implies unnatural. Yeah, I, know? I completely agree. And for me, I've had everything from a super, super medicated birth with my first son to live. So it was just, you know, n- there's no sort of normal circumstance. And I had an epidural that didn't work. But and then all the way through to a home birth. So I feel like I've kind of covered most of the spectrum, but I really yeah. think that I would have the epidural again with my second birth because I was having such a miserable time that although it didn't work for long, I really felt like it, it made me be a bit more present and able to slightly enjoy that last part of pushing, even though it wore off very quickly. Mm. And I would say the birth I had that was medicated was way more painful than my quote unquote natural home birth. So I think every situation is so different. And I think it's more empowering to pick what's right for you, for you to have a positive experience, whether that's medication or not. Because I don't think medication fixes everything for some people. And I think I don't know, there shouldn't be this expectation that you're a better person or you did a better job or you, you know, almost if you chose anything other than the sort of unmedicated route because it is hard. There's just no doubt about that. So I think, I don't know, it just always seems a bit like competitive sometimes. And I think that's a big thing of why I've wanted to share these stories because having a varied sort of cross-section of my own birth, it kind of made me realise that they're so different, but everyone has their own challenges in different ways. And I think it's scary having a home birth when you get to a point where you're like, oh, there's no option. But at the same time, also, you can be hard on yourself by taking drugs when that's the best thing for you at the time. And I'm sure it's even more difficult with a C-section or an elected C-section where it's completely out of your hands and the doctor's essentially making that choice for you sometimes. Oh my God, yeah. I, I, and for me, like a C-section this time on my for my second son would have been the worst because I already had a toddler. So the thought of having a C-section and having to recover from that with a two-year-old around <laughs> would have been the worst. So I was very grateful that didn't happen to me. But yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. I know it's a provocative subject from reading the comments on your post. but Oh my God, so interesting. A lot of people kind of were saying that, you know, we're being too politically correct. And I thought, you know, but, you know, the language that we choose if that can make a big impact on a woman's, you know, self perception mm-hmm. or mental health or self esteem, like why wouldn't we just choose words that are Positive a little bit more? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'd be really yeah. interested to know what percentage of people who said it's too politically correct actually had to have intervention and were unhappy and were happy. I think your own experience often plays into what your opinion is. And it's very easy, I think, if you have an unmedicated, perfect, you know, what we all dream for birth versus somebody who's struggled with a birth and had a traumatic experience. I don't think you can almost imagine that unless you've been through it, maybe. So... Yeah, I think it's a shame people can't be a bit more compassionate, but I think it was a really important thing that you wrote there. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, I really like your posts. I think they're very insightful, but also your Instagram is very educational in terms of being off, but also your own sort of personal take on things as well. Let me interrupt this episode to tell you a little bit about our wonderful sponsor, Rascal and Friends Premium Diapers. I have some really exciting news. Well, two bits of exciting news, actually. One is that they are now doing wipes. They are sensitive wipes and they are 99% natural ingredients. Both of my babies have suffered with sensitive skin, as I've said before, and I'm really excited that they have some wipes that also go with the diapers. In my household, we are currently tackling potty training, which is basically a complete disaster. It's not a three-day process that I read about about and really hoped for. So I'm so delighted that they are launching training pants here in Canada in August. I've been trialing them for about a week now 
and I love them as much as the diapers. Of course they are completely cute and I'm won over by that every time, but they're also thin and absorbent and they look like proper pants. If you are dealing with a lot of accidents like I am, they have easy to set tear sides and so you can get them off really easily and they have a little resealable tab at the back so you can wrap them up nicely to conceal that accident in there. If you live here in Canada, you can get their products at Walmart and if you live in the UK, they stock them at Tesco's. To find out more about Rascal and Friends, follow them on Instagram at Rascal and Friends or on Facebook at Rascal and Friends CA. You can also check them out on their website www.rascalandfriends.ca. I think like anything as parents it's really like a lot of trial and error and I can honestly say that once you try this brand you will not look back. And I think the added bonus is that they're a premium brand, premium quality, and without the premium price tag, which really, it, that does help, let's face it. When you have more than one in diapers like me. Anyway, enjoy the rest of this episode. Thank you. Moving forward slightly, what, how did you feel after? Did you, what sort of helped you at your best and your worst once you'd had Gabrielle? I remember essentially it's three weeks and she was born in April. So by May, three weeks later, it was starting to get nicer outside. And I remember thinking, oh, let's just walk to the cafe down the street. Like, I just want to go for a walk. I need to get out of the house. And I was about two and a half, three weeks postpartum. And I remember every three steps, I would have to stop because I was in so much pain in my hips. And I remember being freaked out because I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, why am I in so much pain? Why can't I even walk? It's crazy, isn't it? Um, the, and I the walking issue. Oh my God. It was crazy. And it wasn't, it wasn't from, you know, I did have some tearing and I had some stitches. I had second degree, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, that wasn't where the pain was. The pain was from in my, my pelvis, my joints. And so of course I have my team of people so I called my friend who's a physical therapist and I was like (laughs) and she was like calm down but come see me so I went and I saw her and and she was like Nikki you're still in the birthing position and I was like what no one told me about this what are you talking about oh wow she's like your your sacrum is flared out in the wrong way like your your bones are still your pelvis is essentially still really open from having to pass that eight and a half pound baby (laughs) and I was like okay well that makes sense she's like here are some gentle pelvic symmetry exercises that you can do but like you know it will it will go back she reassured me that I wasn't quote-unquote broken because I was like I felt broken yeah you're like where are the bodies what is it doing yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) exactly and so I did follow her advice and it was, it was a very, very helpful, a little, very gentle. And, and I've shared this, it's called the pelvic symmetry sequence. I've shared it mm-hmm. online as a way of, of creating symmetry and balance back in your pelvis, because you know, that, that literally, I think my, my circumference of my pelvis grew about three and a half inches during pregnancy and then went back down. Right. Like it, that's a, that's a, your joints are very mobile and it makes sense when someone at least an expert can kind of talk you off the ledge and say like what you're experiencing is normal. She helped quell my fears because you don't know there's this fear. Like, is this my new normal? Am yes. I going to be in pain for the next? And I think months? it, you know, you I think know. it can really go on for a while. Cause for me, I, I've always teared with every birth and my kids have unusually big heads, which is just not nice. And mm-hmm. they were both eight and a half pounds pretty much too. But yeah, I mean, I think it was more their head, but Beyond that, I found sort of the first few days you expect to be in a lot of pain, then it kind of eases off. And then sort of a week, two weeks later, you're like, what? Why? What, what is happening? Is this forever? Um, yes. And that's kind of when you want to do those things, like you're saying, you want to go for a walk, you want to get outside, you want to kind of regain some form of normality or a lot of people's partners go back to work and it's like you've got to get on with stuff so yeah I think that's actually been the worst bit for me and like I said earlier where you kind of show signs of life so you 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 get used to doing everything you'd normally do but your body hasn't quite caught up with you and yeah I think I've always found the two two and a half week mark that oh my god is it it's almost like gets worse to get better and you can't quite believe that you're still in that much pain and your baby's you know, nearly three weeks old. So that's well, I'm yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that that, you know, this isn't just me. Because yeah, you start to think like, what have I regressed? Yeah. Like, why is it getting worse? Hundred percent. And yeah. I think for me too, 
I'd forgotten it from the first time round, and I was like oh like I know what to expect now like I'll be fine but it almost was worse because it was like I should know how to deal with this this time round. but but no it was it, it's hard those few weeks and I think even like six weeks I think it took me to like start to feel like from the waist down I was normal again <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah hemorrhoids is another oh god I know it really is isn't it and I had that before I gave birth yeah. that was horrendous um but anyway <laughs> uh, so would you have any particular advice to give to somebody else who sort of followed a similar path to you whether it be IVF or having a condition in the pregnancy I think there's a lot I know that there are people who you know if someone's listening to this and it's sort of like I I'm expecting to have a very active pregnancy I'm expecting to only gain x amount of weight I'm expecting my body to react in a certain way Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they realize that they don't have control over that yes it's scary, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, wait, my heart or, oh, wait, like, you know, I'm, I'm throwing up like crazy and I don't have control. Like there's a, there's a huge amount of surrendering that needs to happen and a huge kind of wrapping your head around the fact that you actually don't have control. And I would say is to, you know, know that those are normal feelings mm-hmm. and know and try your best to, to trust that, you know, you can be strong. In fact, you can actually be even stronger postpartum than you were prior to pregnancy. And and I think that that's an important message that I want women to know because a lot of them feel like, you know, I've heard pregnancy ruin my body or, you know, I, I, you know, I feel broken now or I feel, and I feel like I think women, they, they can be stronger postpartum and, and it's okay if, you know, you feel like for those nine months, you sort of don't have any control. You can regain that once the baby's here. And it's okay if you gain, you know, 40, 50 pounds. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you not know, forever. Don't these guys, yeah, don't let these guidelines, you know, I remember I gained 40 pounds. Like that for me is like, for my frame, like oh, I'm yeah. not a big person, you know? Mm. And so I remember going and getting weighed in at my OB's office and like the secretary would just yell it out. And like someone would write it on a spreadsheet. And at some point I just laughed. I was like, what's it going to be today? We're going to hit 165 today. Like, where are we at? You know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, joking, you know, and, you know, I like, like you say, you're a, like isn't probably used to hearing one, those yeah. numbers or two, that amount of weight gain in any sort of aspect of your life. And it's okay. Like, mm-hmm. in, in a, you know, and you could easily say, well, if it wasn't for the stupid heart condition, then I would be able to be more active. Or if it wasn't for my knee or my hip or whatever, my, you know, I would be able to, and you can feel frustration over, you know, all of a sudden that like your body has sort of, it feels like your body is failing you Yeah. in some way. And, and I would try to say, a, those feelings are normal, but B, trust that you can, like, this isn't, this isn't forever. This is all temporary and, you know, it, it's okay. Yeah, I think that's really that's reassuring to hear from someone like yourself who, you know, helps women get their body back after postpartum and you're an expert in that because, I don't know, I think for me, second time round, it's definitely been harder, but I really truly believe that motherhood I think you said it's something about it before it almost gives you this new motivation to want to be the best version of yourself and super healthy and everything else I know time restrictions are a big issue for a lot of people but I still think the motivation is there so to know that it is possible I think really yeah. is a helpful thing <laughs> especially from someone like yourself yeah I, I mean there's so many things I can think of you know have creating your dream team talking to people, sharing your, your fears, having, you know, I could give funny tips of advice. Like if people want to come visit you once the baby's born, like you get to drop off food and, and leave like no visitors in the first two weeks, unless they're bringing you frozen meals, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Funny, funny, funny things like that. But I think the big thing for me was this feeling of being okay, being out of control Yes, and, and finding, yes. finding a way to be, to wrap my head around that where it wouldn't, create anxiety like just to trust to surrender and trust that your body is doing exactly what it needs to be doing you know in that short amount of time because it it's, it seems like a long time but you know it for the your whole life it's you know call it 10 months for the mm-hmm. people who are overdue about 10 months yeah you know you're gonna you will recover 
Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll finish off with my finishing questions. And what would you describe as one of your sort of funniest moments of motherhood, be it a mum fail that sticks out or just something that you've found great joy in since having your daughter? Mum fails. There are so many. <laughs> I know, so many people say that to me. They're like, oh my God, I can't even think of one in particular. I know. I, <laughs> I think it's a real leveler though, because it doesn't matter whether you're like Meghan Markle or just someone down the road, like we've all been there. And I think oh, that's... Totally I remember one time, like I was like, I'm going to join this mom group. And I was like four or five, six weeks postpartum or something. So I joined this mommy group. And you're supposed to be there at 11. And I'm like, okay, I can totally do this. I would start packing at 8.30. And I would be like, I would be like in the bag, the diapers, the wipes. I felt like I was camping. Like it was so overwhelming to get out of the house. And and without fail, it would be like, you know, and I was, oh yeah, breastfeeding is a whole other conversation. I was pumping because breastfeeding was a challenge for us. So that was a really humbling thing. So I was exclusively pumping, even though I didn't want to be. And it's wow, that's like, a real time. hard job. Yeah. And then timing it all. And I remember like this one time, it was at the time I left the house already 1145. And I've been trying to get out of the house since 830. And I remember being so frustrated. I just went to the Starbucks drive through and came right home. I was like, <laughs> I am, I am like, at least I went to Starbucks today. That's what I was able to accomplish. Because I was so tired of being the only person that showed up so late and and I, it would always be like the record scratches and like everyone stops and stares as you walk in they're like oh, why God, can't yeah. she get her shit together to be here on time I was like I'm a punctual person I just can't get here on time I don't know what's wrong with me you know oh I've so been there or you do get there on time but something happens on the way like you have a massive blowout or yeah yeah one of you's covered in something just as you're like literally putting your key in the door Yes. Um, but that's funny. I, I do love a Starbucks drive through I feel like that's been my like motherhood <laughs> thing where, you know, if all else fails, if they're crying in the back or if they're asleep in the back of the car and you've finally got a moment to yourself, I feel like yeah. Starbucks drive through <laughs> you can just keep going sure. round and round, basically. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> my last question to you will be, if you had a day free of motherhood and you could do anything you wanted other than sleep, what would be your would be your dream day? Oh, I think it would be probably hanging out with my girlfriends, you know, in a vineyard somewhere, <laughs> doing yoga, drinking wine, you know. Oh, that sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah, it would, it would be, it would, it would involve some, some movement and some, some girlfriends and probably a little bit of wine and some delicious food. Yeah, that sounds pretty amazing. Got me like, Oh, my imagination going <laughs> <laughs> well I know that very shortly so I'm just going to finish by thanking you for talking to me and opening up about your story and yeah I think if anybody wants to hear more they should go check out your Instagram if they're not they're already following you and I will post all the links in the show notes for this episode so that they can follow you because your Instagram is so insightful and I love your posts whether it's um, a provocative about natural birth or not um, yeah they're, they're great to read so Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and sharing your journey with us. And thank you for having me and thank you for all that you do. So it's an honor. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's a real pleasure uh, to chat to you and get to know you a little bit more. But yeah, I'll let you go and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nikki. I'll be in touch. Take care. Okay, bye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. I would love to hear your feedback. If you would like to participate in this podcast, please email me at francesca at frannyandco.com or send me a DM and follow me at frannyandco on Instagram. Francesca is spelled F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-A. Thank you.